Merry Christmas, church. My name is Jeff Brookshire, and I'm one of the teaching elders here at Crossroads. And before we get started, I just want to um, give a shout out to a couple of people. Um, Don uh, Trammell is filling in today, uh, running the slides, which you may think is an easy thing to do. Mm, no, not so easy. And he's filling in today because uh, Daryl Gums is very sick. And yesterday, Daryl put all the slides together, but couldn't come in and run them. And we're glad that he didn't come in and run them, if he's very sick, right? Am I, can I get an amen about that? Yeah, exactly. So I'm so appreciative to him yesterday, because I talked to him on the phone, and he did not sound good, but he was still working for the Lord to put together the slides for this morning, and Don's running them. And so I really appreciate that. Um, Question, have you ever said something or did something that was completely misunderstood by somebody else? Absolutely, right? All of us have been in that kind of situation. When I was um, first out of seminary, I was appointed to a church, um, a very large, well, it had 800 people who attended on a Sunday um, it grew over the time that I was there till a thousand, not because of me, <laughs> but it grew over that time. And when I first started there, I was appointed, one of my job responsibilities was to be the youth pastor, of course. First time out of seminary, put the kid into youth pastor role, right? So um, one of the things that we did was two or three times a year, we would have these lock-ins. Anybody ever attend a lock-in? Okay, so you know what I'm talking about, those of you who raised your hand. What they were were retreats that happened through the night. So we would start somewhere around 6 or 7 at night, and we'd go till about 7 or 8 or 9 the next morning. And we'd have these mini Bible lessons throughout the night. At midnight, we would have worship. Um, we would play games. There was a, a gym there, and so... Uh, we played a lot of basketball. We, we played a lot of <laughs> dodgeball. Uh, we played a lot of other games, had a lot of pizza, some of them too much pizza, if you know what I mean. And, and pop, I'm sorry, soda. Pop is, I, it was, I was in Indiana, right? I just made a Southern mistake. Soda. And we had all of that kind of stuff during lock-in. Well, one of these... Um, a youth that came to the youth group brought with him um, another friend that he had met in school. His name is Cameron. Now, here's a picture of Cameron uh, two years ago. Um, he conspired with my wife, Jill, to surprise me at Olive Garden while we were eating. He lives in Las Vegas, and he was in town, and I'm sitting there eating my um, fettuccine Alfredo, and here comes Cameron walking across the room. Um, but Cameron uh, was the one that, that came to that lock-in, and we became fast friends when we were playing basketball, because whenever I would try to take a shot, he would block my shot. And so I started saying to him, you know, Cameron, that in the Bible it says that thou that blockest the shot of the pastor shall burn in hell. And that's how we kind of became friends. He says, I've never played basketball against a pastor like that. 
that was so aggressive and telling me that I was going to burn in hell. So we became fast friends. Well, he lived in the central city of Fort Wayne, Indiana, and our church was in the outer skirts of Fort Wayne, and he had no way to get to church. So I made the commitment um, every Sunday morning to drive and pick him up from his home and take him to our church. And then he would come home with us after church, and he would eat with Jill and I and, and our daughter, and, and he would, um, uh, we usually we would, we would lay on the couch or sit in a chair and watch sports or go in the backyard and play basketball or nap, my favorite, on a Sunday afternoon. And we would just kind of hang out until that evening. We would go back to youth group, and then uh, I would take him home after that. Well, he was so um, appreciative of how he, what he was getting from the church that he wanted to give back. So when Vacation Bible School came around, he wanted to volunteer in Vacation Bible School. Now, this was not an evening Vacation Bible School like what we have here at Crossroads. It was a day Vacation Bible School. So I loaded up my two- or three-year-old daughter, Chelsea, into her car seat in the back seat, and then I drove into the city to pick him up. Well, I'm coming down his little street, and uh, I saw that there was a woman standing on his porch. And I thought it was his mother, Pam, at first. But when I got closer, I realized it wasn't Pam. And as I kept coming down the street and, and started pulling up to the curb, this woman came down the steps and got right up against the car. So I couldn't even open up the door. So I rolled down my window and I said, good morning. And she said, are you looking? And I said, yes, I am. I'm looking for Cam. To which she replied, will I do? Misunderstood. That is not what I was looking for. <laughs> We've all been misunderstood. We've all had times in our past where we have said something or done something that was completely misunderstood by others. Well, if we've been misunderstood, think about how much Jesus has been misunderstood. How he was misunderstood 2,000 years ago and how he's still misunderstood today, 2,000 years later. He is the most misunderstood king ever to live. From the Old Testament, the two-thirds of the Bible that begins our Bible, that was written hundreds of years before the first Christmas, the prophets in that Bible prophesied that a king would be born, that there would be a Messiah king that would be born. Now, the term Messiah is Hebrew. In Greek, it's translated as Christ. So when we say Jesus Christ, we're not saying Christ was Jesus' last name. We're saying that Jesus is the Messiah. In English, here at Crossroads, we usually don't say uh, Messiah. We usually say Savior, that he is the Savior, that Jesus is the Messiah, the Christ, the Savior who came to save us. 
Well, the Old Testament prophecies also prophesied that Jesus would be a king, right? It said that he would be a king in the line of King David. Now, King David was the greatest king of all of Israel, no doubt. And it said that if you claim to be the Messiah, you had to show your genealogy went back to King David. You had to prove that. Now, Jews were big into genealogy, and if you couldn't prove that your genealogical line went back to King David, you were rejected, you were ignored, and in some cases, you were stoned to death because of blasphemy. The prophets also prophesied that this Messiah king had to be born in Bethlehem. Now, we all know that Jesus was born in Bethlehem, and Bethlehem seems like a big place to us. Back then, it was a stinking little town. Oh, little stinking town of Bethlehem, how still we see they lie, right? It was tiny. The only thing it was known for was that King David was born there. That was it. Otherwise, it was a blip on the map if it even made it on the map. So if you claimed to be the Messiah and you couldn't prove that you were born in Bethlehem, you were rejected, you were ignored, and maybe even stoned to death, killed because of blasphemy. The prophets gave us many prophecies to point out who the Messiah would be so that when he came, we would know who he was. In fact, in your handout, I've listed a dozen different prophecies that if you go home and read these prophecies and then read uh, Matthew and Luke in the Bible about Jesus, you will see that all of these wonderful prophecies came true, that hundreds of prophecies about Jesus were fulfilled in him, which is the slide that says Jesus. There we go. The hundreds of prophecies were fulfilled in the Lord Jesus. But here's the deal. You need to understand this, that there were many Jews back then and a whole bunch of Jews today who do not believe that Jesus is the Messiah because of unfulfilled prophecies. Prophecies that were not fulfilled by Jesus 2,000 years ago. Now, that doesn't mean that all Jews feel that way. There are some Jews known as the Messianic Jews. Uh, this last fall, I went to a retreat center outside of Asheville, North Carolina, and uh, there were a lot of different treats, retreats that were going on in the center. And then everybody came to lunch at the same time. And so you got to sit and, and talk with people over lunch what the retreat was like. And one of the retreats was a retreat for Messianic Jews. And I got to talk to this wonderful couple about their faith in Jesus as the Messiah. But they're in a small number, these Messianic Jews. Most of the Jews today do not believe that Jesus is the Messiah because there were many prophecies that were left unfulfilled. For example, the prophets prophesied that the Messiah King would then bring all of the exiles, all the Jews who were exiled from Israel, from the Promised Land, they would bring them back 
into Israel, into the promised land. That was not fulfilled 2,000 years ago. The prophets prophesied that there would be, um, the glory of Israel would be restored. That its boundaries, its furthest boundaries would be reestablished. That did not happen 2,000 years ago in Jesus' prophecies. In the prophets, the prophets said that the Messiah King would be a political king over Israel and the world. That did not happen 2,000 years ago. And finally, it said that the King Jesus would usher in a thousand-year reign where there would be peace where small children could play alongside of poisonous snakes and be safe. That did not happen 2,000 years ago. So knowing this, there was a lot of people who just simply did not believe in Jesus, the Messiah. They did not understand that Jesus first had to come as the suffering Messiah King in their generation that he had to come first as the suffering Messiah King, the Messiah King who would suffer, who would die upon the cross, who would be raised from the dead on the third day, who would ascend into heaven on the 40th day and sits now at the right hand of God the Father Almighty in heaven. 2,000 years ago, they didn't understand that he first had to come as the suffering Messiah King, and then someday, Jesus will fulfill the prophecies of the conquering Messiah King when he returns. Most of the Jews back then and many today do not understand that, so they don't put their faith in him. However, 2,000 years ago, there were many in this misunderstanding who decided that they were going to try to make Jesus the great political king. After a great miracle that they experienced, where over 5,000 people experienced this miracle, they thought, let's make him the political king to kick the Roman armies out of Israel. Listen to what Luke says. After the people saw the sign, the miracle that Jesus performed, they began to say, surely this is the prophet who has come into the world. Jesus, knowing that they intended to come and make him king by force, withdrew again to a mountain by himself. The Jews back then had it all backwards. They wanted a political Messiah king to rid them of the Roman armies. But Jesus had an agenda that was much bigger than dabbling in local politics, dabbling in national politics. He had a greater mission than that. His mission was to save humanity from their sins and to save them from hell. So that everyone who believes in Jesus, everyone who believes that Jesus is the Messiah, the Christ, the Savior, the Lord, everyone who believes in Jesus will be saved from their sins, saved from hell, and saved for heaven to the glory of God the Father. For generations, 
Christ followers have sung about this. Not only in what we call hymns, but they've sung about it in the Christmas carols. They've sung in the middle of these songs about Christmas long ago. They've sung about the suffering Messiah King and the conquering Messiah King. So a few weeks ago, I read through many of the carols, read all of the verses. And I was just overwhelmed by the number of times that they talked about the suffering Messiah King and the conquering Messiah King. So we're going to do something a little different, which you can tell they've already come out here. I've never done this before, so we're going to try it all together. Those of you who don't like change, just hang with me. We are going to sing in the middle of the message. All right? What I've done is I've chosen four carols that talk about two of them, about the suffering Messiah King and two of them about the conquering Messiah King. Now, I know that some of you don't like to sing. That's okay. But those of you who do like to sing, I invite you to take the advice of Buddy the Elf. You know what I'm going to say? What is it? The best way to spread Christmas cheer is singing loud for all to hear. We're going to spread Christmas cheer. Okay? So let us sing these songs. And the first one is God Rest You Merry Gentlemen. Jesus, the suffering Messiah King, had come to save us from Satan's power by his death upon the cross and his resurrection from the dead. Now let's sing, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel, which means God with us. attention to the words of that song. The suffering Messiah King came to save us from Satan's tyranny, to free us from death, to free us from the depths 
of hell and give us victory over the grave. Now, that's two, just two of the carols that talked about the Savior, Messiah, King. Now, let's talk about the conquering Messiah, King. Right there, did you hear it? That Jesus will come again, that he will return. He will descend from heaven, this time not as the suffering Messiah King, but as the conquering Messiah King. And now let's sing two of my favorite verses of all the carols, Joy to the World. did you hear that? That Jesus, the conquering Messiah King, will come where no more will sins or sorrow grow. He will come as a conquering Messiah King where his blessings will flow. He will come as the suffering, the conquering Messiah King to rule the world with truth and grace. For generations, Christ's followers have sung about this. And if you read the Bible, you read over and over and over again that the conquering Messiah King will come. It continues to say, Jesus will return. So there was a time 2,000 years ago when he was the suffering Messiah King, and he will come again as the conquering Messiah King. And right now we find ourselves in the in-between times, right? We're in between the suffering Messiah King and the conquering Messiah King. So what then should we do? The first is, 
listen and apply. Listen to this scripture that Jesus told. There was a rich man who was dressed in purple and fine linen and lived in luxury every day. At his gate was laid a beggar named Lazarus, covered with sores and longing to eat what fell from the rich man's table. Even the dogs came and licked his sores. The time came when the beggar died and the angels carried him to Abraham's side. Now Abraham, Abraham lived in heaven. So whenever they said Abraham's side, they meant heaven. Now also understand that Lazarus, the beggar, did not go to heaven because he was poor. He did not go to heaven because he was a beggar. He went to heaven because he believed in God. He put his faith in God and was taken after he died from his dead body to heaven to be with the Lord. The story goes on. The rich man also died and was buried in Hades. Hades is another way of saying hell, right? It's another way of saying that the rich man went to hell. Now, let's make it clear. He did not go to hell because he was rich. He went to hell because he did not believe in God. He did not put his faith in God. It says in Hades, where he was in torment, he looked up and saw Abraham far away with Lazarus by his side. So he called to him, Father Abraham, have pity on me and send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue because I am in agony in this fire. But Abraham replied, Son, remember that in your lifetime you received your good things while Lazarus received bad things. But now he is comforted here and you are in agony. And besides all this, between us and you, a great chasm has been set in place so that those who want to go from here to you cannot, nor can anyone cross over from there to us. The rich man answered, Then I beg you, Father, send Lazarus to my family, for I have five brothers. Let him warn them so they will not also come to this place of torment. Abraham replied, They have Moses and the prophets. Let them listen to them. No, Father Abraham, he said, but if someone from the dead goes to them, they will repent. Abraham said to him, If they will not listen to Moses and the prophets... They will not be convinced even if someone rises from the dead. My friends, if you have not put your faith in God, if you have not put your trust in Him, if you have not repented, which means you were going in the way of sin and then now you're going into the ways of God, if you have not done that, you have been warned, the Bible says. You have the Old Testament. You have the Bible. You have the first two-thirds of the Bible where the prophets warn us that if we do not believe, that if we do not put our faith in the Messiah, that we will not go to heaven. 
Friends, if you have not believed, you have the last third of the Bible. You have the Bible, the New Testament, where a man from the dead did come back to life. Jesus Christ. On the third day, on that Easter, long ago, he came back to life and he warned us. He warned us that there are no second chances after we die. He warned us to consider our options wisely. So friend, I just reach out to you today and I say if you have not believed, if you've not put your faith in the Messiah, the Christ, the Savior, Jesus, accept the gift that he's given to you today. Make this the day. Make this the Christmas that you become a Christ follower to be saved from hell and saved for heaven. Now, Christ followers, those of you who may be new or have been for a long time, you're not left off the hook. <laughs> Listen to what Jesus says. About that day or hour when he returns, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven nor the Son, but only the Father, as it was in the days of Noah, so it will be at the coming of the Son of Man, Jesus. For in the days before the flood, people were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, up to the day that Noah entered the ark. And they knew nothing about what would happen until the flood came and took them all away. This is how it will be at the coming of the Son of Man, Two men will be in the field. One will be taken, the other left. Two women will be grinding with a hand mill. One will be taken, and the other left. Therefore, keep watch, because you do not know on what day your Lord will come. So you also must be ready, because the Son of Man will come in an hour when you do not expect him. Jesus says to us, be ready. I am coming back. We do not know the day or the hour. It could be today. It could be a hundred years from now. But God is going, God the Father is going to send God the Son, Jesus, back to earth. And we need to be ready. We need not be caught in our sin, in our disobedience when he returns but rather let us find us as faithful managers of all that he has given us, our faith and our hope and our resources. Friends, Jesus is coming again. Jesus, the King. What I'd like to do now is to go into a time of prayer. The first prayer that we're going to pray is for those of you who'd like to cross that line of faith and become a follower in Jesus. And I'd like for you to pray that prayer silently after me. I'm going to say a few words, and then you repeat those words after me. And in doing so, if you do so with sincerity and truth, you will become a Christ follower. You will be saved from hell and saved for heaven. So let us pray.
Repeat after me. O holy child of Bethlehem, descend to me, I pray. Cast out my sin and enter in. Be born in me today. If you prayed that prayer with sincerity and honesty, you are now a Christ follower. Congratulations. You are no longer a citizen of Hades or hell. You are now a citizen of heaven. And for those of you who are Christ followers, I invite you to pray this prayer with me. Be near me, Lord Jesus. I ask you to stay close by me forever and love me, I pray. Bless all the dear children in your tender care and prepare us for heaven to live with you there. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.